Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Roberts. Well, hello, Coach Roberts. We have the same name. (laughs) Is that just dawning on you tonight? Hmm. I think we pretty much say that at the beginning of every podcast. I suppose so. Unless I'm calling you Larry Larry. Mm Mm-hmm. How was your weekend? Oh, wow. It's been a busy, busy, productive, and fun weekend. You are in serious get-ready-for-Boston training. I am in serious get-ready-for-Boston training. I would concur with that. And I've also been in serious grandmom bonding time. It doesn't get any better than that. This is true. This was my week to only have her two days. It wasn't my Wednesday, so it was just Thursday and Friday. However which I'm sure you'll talk about in a little bit more detail in a moment. Our son was going to participate in a race this weekend, so our daughter-in-law, Shelby, went with him. Therefore, the baby got to spend the night. And we had fun with sweet Ellie Ann spending the night with us. Yeah, she was in a good mood. You know, picked her up at 6.30 Friday morning, so I figured by 6.30 at night she might be tired of us, but she was just in the floor playing and laughing and having a great time, and I think she went to bed around 8 o'clock. And then I was out on my run, but I hear you actually woke her up at 8 o'clock the next morning. Yes. And I may have left out a small detail in the middle there. She did get up in the middle of the night for a little while, and then she went back to sleep. She whimpered a little bit, but she slept. And after I did all the things I like to do in the morning and made breakfast and did some chores around the house, I thought, that little girl needs to get up. And I went into the room and... She was just laying in bed on her belly with her little toy stuffed animal with her eyes open, just laying there, just as content as could be. <laughs> I did hear her around 1.40 Saturday morning, and I got up, and I was going to go check on her. But by the time I got over to her door, I didn't hear anything else. So when I came back into our room where we had the little monitor... I could start hearing her, but then you got up. So I was like, hmm, have a big training run tomorrow. I just might let him get up. <laughs> yeah, so the second time she cried, I got up knowing you had a big run Saturday morning. And I rocked her for maybe half an hour. And then I just decided it's time for her to go back to bed. So I put her in bed and she cried a little bit. So I went and got the baby monitor out of the bedroom where you were sleeping and I went to the couch in the family room and I slept on the couch where I could hear her and let you get some sleep. But she slept great. Yeah, but I wasn't sleeping very well because I kept listening for her and I'm like, it's weird. I don't even hear the fan in the baby monitor. So I went to check on the baby monitor and it was not there. I was like, oh, Dean has relocated with the baby monitor. So that was really nice of you. So while I was waiting for her to wake up Saturday morning, I had plenty of time to cook breakfast and eat breakfast. But I I made quite the spread for our special guest. I had my special homemade overnight oatmeal, which she loves. I had some Chex cereal, some raisins, 
scrambled eggs, bacon, and banana slices, and a glass of milk. I was kind of hoping when I got home from my run that perhaps you and the baby had made gluten-free pancakes. Because every once in a while when I have a really, really, really long run, I have a little bit of a guilty pleasure of eating a couple pancakes with my bananas and Greek yogurt. Yeah, the way you fix your pancakes is quite unique. You think so? So you have pancakes, and you have yogurt on top, and then maybe another pancake on top of that. And then, what else? Cinnamon? Syrup? Yeah, so I don't like to just eat... First of all, my pancakes have to be gluten-free, because if you've listened to this podcast for very long, you know that I cannot have gluten. But there are a lot of ways to enjoy food that do not contain gluten, and gluten-free flours and products have come a long way. But when we make the gluten-free pancakes... Usually, I'll put one pancake on my plate and then put about a fourth a cup of Fage 0% Greek yogurt and then about a fourth of a banana and a bunch of cinnamon because I love cinnamon. And then maybe just a teaspoon or two of 100% pure maple syrup. And then I will put another pancake and dollop on a little bit more protein with that Fage Greek yogurt. And then top it off with the rest of the banana and some cinnamon and maybe a couple teaspoons more of maple syrup. So it's like a pancake Big Mac. I guess. But I mean, if you go to a fancy pancake place, they'll make something similar, only they'll use cream cheese or something not good for you instead of the yogurt. But the reason I do that is because after a run, I know my body needs protein. And the type of pancake mix we use has a little bit of protein in it, but the Fage Greek yogurt adds a lot more protein. And it's delicious. I haven't tried your yogurt pancakes before, but I like to put peanut butter or almond butter on my pancakes to add a little protein and a little extra syrup than probably what you put on. Yeah, and you know, peanut butter is probably more of a fat than a protein, but it does contain Mm -hmm. some protein. A little bit. But... I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves because I skipped right over my long run. Do tell. Okay, so I wasn't going to meet the group until 7, but I had decided I was going to get up at 5 and practice my pre-race nutrition, especially in light of the fact that Arizona went so poorly. And even though that marathon was intended to be a training run for Boston, it still went way off the rails because of my digestive issues that we discussed in a previous podcast. Did we discuss that you think you came in contact with gluten? I don't know if we mentioned that or not, and I don't even know that I really connected that dot, but I was running last weekend with Jessica, who also ran Arizona with us, and she mentioned it, and I said, you know, I really hadn't thought of it at the time we did our race recap, but the next day, I did, like, my, I had the breakout on my abdomen and things that is typical of when I get glutened, so it had to have been a small trace, though, because I think if I had ingested a bunch of gluten, I would have been much more violently ill, but I think I had enough that probably is what threw off my digestive system, but I wasn't sure, so Friday night I documented what I ate, and then Saturday morning I got up two hours before my run, and I ate something a little bit less complicated than what I'd eaten in Arizona. I ate a fourth of a banana and a half a cup of Fage 
with a little bit of cinnamon and just mix that together. And then about 20 minutes before my run, I went ahead and took a modium. And I haven't done that in a while because based on some research, it can dehydrate you. But I made sure I stayed on top of my hydration and I got through the entire run without any bathroom issues, which was a definite confidence booster because I'm not going to do well in a race if I'm having to stop and eat up time and lose energy at every aid station. And we had a conversation via text with one of our athletes this past week about stopping in the middle of a race to go to the bathroom. Yeah, if I remember correctly, you text him a screenshot of dude wipes. I did. <laughs> and said, don't stop. <laughs> Don't stop. Clean up later. Because he had listened to that podcast and he said, okay, you didn't stop your watch, but if you're going to get an accurate time, do you stop your watch or not stop your watch at the porta potties? Because I had kind of tongue in cheek said, I wish I had stopped my watch at the porta potties just because I wonder what my mile splits were catching back up with the group after each stop. But honestly, during a race, I would never stop my watch because then I would have no idea where I was in relationship to the goal I wanted Mm -hmm. to accomplish. But then after I explained all that to him, you then chimed in and said, don't stop. (laughs) Clearly, I had to stop. You had unusual circumstances. (laughs) Yes. In general, in a race, you just go, you just run. And we should be able to go back to look at your Arizona data in training peaks and take out those breaks to see how fast you were going when we hit a spare moment. Yeah, in our spare time. But anyway, at seven o'clock, I met with Suzanne, who's running Boston, with me. But then there were several other girls, Bethany being one of them, and really a bunch of girls her age. Jessica was there. Caitlin was there. I didn't realize there was such a large crowd. Mm -hmm. And Sarah Carlisle came and ran with us. Wow, that's a first. Yeah, so I had never run with her and come to find out Bethany had not either, but we were excited to see Sarah out there running with us. So they all ran. Well, we looped back twice. The first group dropped off after 55 minutes, and then the second group dropped off after nine. Nine miles? Yeah. So... The run this weekend, I am six weeks out, six weeks from today, the day that this podcast is coming out. I'm six weeks out from Boston. So the training run this weekend, we did 10 miles, uh, simple vanilla ice cream flavor, I call it. Just nothing fancy. Just keep it simple. Keep it easy. So that was, was that 10 miles? <laughs> I don't even remember now. No, that was nine miles. Yes. And then the next eight miles... So now at a total of 17 miles, we ran it at go marathon pace, which we don't want to strike a match in training. So obviously we wouldn't want to run all 17 of those miles at go marathon pace. I think strategically putting those miles a little bit later in the run, get your body used to working harder as the day progresses. Yeah, and running at pace when you're a little bit tired. Yes, so... And also, in a marathon, you're going to be putting forth more effort later in the race and probably not gaining that much speed because you're just going to have to, your effort's going to increase just to maintain your goal pace. But I'm going to tell you, the hardest part for me was, you know, we did the nine miles easy and then we did 
the eight miles at marathon pace. And a lot of times we'll work into marathon pace, but no, this was actually do the whole eight miles at pace. So now we're 17 miles into it. The hardest part for me was then the two miles easy because it's almost easier for me just to get into a rhythm and keep the pace the whole time. So you're going at an easy pace. That first mile that you get into marathon pace, your body's protesting a little bit because it's just done nine miles at a much slower pace. And then at the end, when you're backing off that effort, I think my body, or at least my mind thinks, I should be finished. And so it takes a little effort to do those last two miles easy. So did you feel like you still had plenty of energy at the end of mile 17? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt great. I felt like I could have continued at marathon pace, but I'm trusting the process and thought, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to back off and do these last two miles easy. That's what you want to do. But normally when I have a long run, whether it's 12 miles or 19 miles or 16 miles, at the end, I'm like, whew, that's all I could have done today. But yesterday, I just felt like I could have gone all day. It's a good feeling. Yeah, I don't get those days very often. Plus, the weather has been really nice here lately. Yeah, it's been beautiful. And today, I thought my legs would be sore after such a long run, but I did my five miles easy and even threw in a couple of heels just to get that extra preparation for Boston. And the legs felt, Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say they felt fresh, but again, it's been a pretty big weekend because I did... Seven mile run on, no, that's not true. I did a five mile run on Friday, a 19 mile run on Saturday, and a five mile run on Sunday. So that's 29 miles and in a weekend's not bad. That's pretty good. And I'm, I'm glad that you're putting in time on the hills because hills are your friend. They are. Let me tell you about my training this weekend. So I'm still dealing with a foot injury, but it's getting better. I'm able to walk without limping and without pain. So I'm encouraged. Likewise, six weeks out from Boston, still up in the air whether I will be able to do that, but I'm prayerfully optimistic that I will be able to participate in that event with you. So while I'm not running, I have been spending a lot of time in the pool and I've really enjoyed it. But this past weekend, I'd did some drills that I haven't done in quite a while. I did the Tarzan drill. I did some dog paddling, which gets really tiring after a while. I did some one-arm drills, did some vertical sculling and some horizontal sculling. Anyway, it was just a really good variety of swim workout. And it was on the weekend while Ellie was taking her nap. And so I had plenty of time to just take my time. And afterwards, I was able to do some pool running. So it was a good weekend of training for me. And then today, I had the pleasure of riding my bike beside of you on your five-mile run. It was nice to have company. And then I went for a walk on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. So it was a good weekend. You kindly said you went swimming while Ellie-Ann was taking a nap, but she may or may not have been the only one taking a nap when you snuck out the back door. You were taking a nap as well, which you deserved after getting up in the middle of the night even if it was just for a few minutes, and then running 19 miles. I was tired. (laughs) What would you like to talk about for the remainder of the podcast? Before we jump right into the topic of today, I thought maybe we could do just a little bit of a recap of some of our athlete races this weekend. That's a good idea. It was an exciting weekend for some of our athletes. It was. So do we want to start with our youngest athlete? 
Let's do it. All right. Cheney Hetty had a great race in Louisville, Kentucky at the KTCCCA Indoor Middle School State Championships. Yeah, and we found out about it the weekend before the actual race. So we just had kind of a week to wrap her head around it and our head around it. But she's had a great winter of training. She's been pretty consistent, a whole lot more consistent than last year. And her dad has actually taken her to Louisville a couple of other times throughout the winter to run an 800. We felt like she was prepared and going to do fairly well. I guess my biggest concern was track season officially started at her school, so she had been doing a lot of hard efforts the week leading up to the meet that I thought may have her legs a little bit weary for the race. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic being a coach for a coached athlete during track or cross-country season, but we've been able to make it work. We review her activities and just have dialogue with what's going on and then sometimes supplement some of her workouts. And then in this case, she was doing a race unaffiliated with her school team. So we were glad to support her in that. Yeah, and she actually ran it a little bit slower than she had done 800 in practice earlier in the week. But I think her 800 in practice earlier in the week was a for sure lifetime best. And even coming off of that hard effort, she was able to improve her time over the previous two indoor track meets she did this winter. So we're really proud of her and can't wait to continue watching her develop and grow as an athlete and just continue to be amazed by her positive attitude. And she's just, I mean, she's just funny. Like, she's just a joy. Yeah, and she was the fastest sixth grader in the event and it's just great to see that she enjoys running and training and like you said it's a pleasure to work with her yeah and it's a blessing that she has such great support from her family and it's just gonna be fun fun times yep and then we had two athletes participate in the ashland city half marathon brent malay set a personal best of 145 09. Great job, Brent. And Jacob was pacing. And that's just an awesome experience to have somebody with you encouraging along the way. Yeah. Jacob had been on a previous podcast and actually was going to attempt to best his recent PR and a half at this race, but he had a few niggles and injuries and he's in for the long game. So he backed off his training and just decided to go down and enjoy this race and help out another athlete. It was a great experience for both of them. Yeah, and as it turns out, Brent went out at a fairly conservative pace, I presume, since he was really able to kick it in in those last four miles, and he definitely negative split the race. He did a great job with his post-race recap, and he was a little nervous about going out too fast, but when Jacob said it was time to pick it up, he picked it up and he gave it all he had those last four miles. Yeah, and uh, we always encourage our athletes to do a written recap after a race because you think you'll always remember those details, but as the time goes on, the memories tend to fade, so it's nice to have those journaled. Yeah, and he's likely going to be doing another half in the fall, and so he can build on 
the this experience by looking back at his notes and go for another PR. All right. So congratulations to our athletes and guess we're ready to jump into our topic now. All right. There's been one thing that I read this actually a few weeks ago and was going to mention it, but our podcasts have been a little bit lengthy and going in different directions. But I was doing a little bit of research because it really, I think this is the first winter in a long time we've had access to a treadmill at home. And so I've run on the treadmill a lot more this winter than I have in a long time. And I know there's a lot of debate on whether a treadmill workout is equal to running outside. So I was just doing some research and reading several different articles. And I came across one article that pulled in the research of 34 different studies regarding this. And so I thought it might be interesting just to puzzle through some of this. Let's puzzle through it. As a side note, I honestly thought I would be running on the treadmill today because uh, Suzanne and I talked about it yesterday and we looked at the weather forecast and it just showed raining all day long today. But actually, it was beautiful outside. You mentioned you rode the bike by me. But anyway, I didn't run on the treadmill today and we're actually heading into spring. So this may be a little bit less relevant now than it was a few weeks ago. But I still found it very different. So in this article, it was published by Outside Online. I think there's an Outside magazine as well, but this is just an online article. They were just really wanted to talk about is the physiology and biomechanics of treadmill running the same as running outside and they refer to it rather than running outside they refer to it as running over the ground so anyway I may kind of go back and forth between that because I'd never heard over the ground before this is only the second biggest question in regard to treadmills is whether or not it's equivalent to running outside do you know what the biggest question is about treadmills are they accurate on their measurements. I mean, that kind of goes along with the number two, our topic. But no, I found out that the biggest question about treadmills is whether or not an airplane could take off from one. So evidently there's been a lot of research. (laughs) That's a ridiculous question. Is it? I think so. (laughs) I thought my question was better. Uh, Yeah, I like your question because this article actually does address the calibration of treadmills as well. But anyway... And as we're looking at athlete data, when they do their workouts on the treadmill, it's just hard to make any sense out of it because we can't rely on what the watch picks up from the treadmill. And a lot of times, too, our athletes will say, okay, my watch said this, but at the end, the treadmill said I ran four miles or eight Mm -hmm. miles or however long their workout was. But that's only accurate if the treadmill is calibrated accurately. As far as us with coaching athletes, we definitely get better data. But that's not really what this article addresses. It's just addressing whether or not you can get the same physiological workout. For example, if you're training for a marathon and you have to do 90% of your running on a treadmill, are you going to be as prepared if most of those miles were outside. And so I thought it was interesting. And of course, just anecdotally, if you talk to people, some runners will say, oh yeah, I can just run way more miles much easier on a treadmill. Well, is that because 
their treadmills calibrated incorrectly and they think they're running more miles. It could be that the treadmill is a little bit softer surface. Yeah. And, of course, there's others that would rather do anything than run on a treadmill. And this article said they prefer stabbing themselves in the face with a fork just to relieve the boredom of running on a treadmill. <laughs> That's a little extreme. That's, I mean, you know. Come on. You can get creative with ways to <laughs> entertain your mind while you're on the hamster wheel. I agree. But, you know, they're just trying to add a little humor to keep, you know, it kept me interested. I was reading it. So anyway, based on 34 different studies of a total of 468 different runners, all comparing treadmill versus over-the-ground running or over-ground running or however you want to say that, there's really some inconclusive data, but there's also some things that played out to make a lot of sense. And the first thing is when the treadmill, what are you doing? I'm going to make some notes so that I, I can write up a summary for the podcast. <laughs> I thought you were having a, a blazing thought over there. So when you look at all these studies, the good news is that during just your typical moderate running effort, if you're just going to go out for a pretty easy or moderate running effort, it looks like all of the physiological identifiers are about the same. The only thing that doesn't creep up as high, and again, this may be because a treadmill is a little bit softer surface, is the lactate levels stay a little bit lower when you're doing an equivalent run on the treadmill versus overground running. So another interesting detail that came out of these studies is that if you have an athlete not look at their watch and blindly go out and do a comfortable run outside, I could hold this all day pace type of mentality. You do that outside and then the same runner get on the treadmill and they can't see the calibration like they're using a remote to adjust the speed, but they can't see what the speed is and they run their comfortable, I could do this all day pace, their outside over the ground pace was actually faster than the treadmill pace. Hmm. Is that surprising to you? Not really. I feel like when you're on a treadmill and you're going fast, there's a little uneasy, there's a little bit of uneasiness with going that fast and the idea that what if my foot steps on the, the side or what if I'm sliding off the back? So just a little bit of more maybe anxiety about staying safe on the treadmill. Yeah, and that's exactly kind of what this author concluded. It He says, this may simply reflect the fact that most people are less familiar with treadmill running. And so they're a lot more cautious, a little bit more worried about falling, getting thrown off the back. Those types of things, because one of the things these studies really didn't do was differentiate between those who had a ton of treadmill experience versus those who never run on a treadmill. So one of the things, and this is something we've talked about before, but I guess the most obvious difference in running on a treadmill and running outside, and this is even much more of a difference if you're cycling on a trainer versus cycling outdoors, is on a treadmill, you're not fighting the air resistance. And so a lot of times you'll read, okay, put an incline on your treadmill to offset that effort. But honestly, if you're running at an easy pace, it's a lot less air resistance than if you're really getting after it 
in a speed workout. If you're just doing an easy effort on the treadmill, if you're jacking the treadmill up to a 1% or 2% incline, you're definitely doing more work on the treadmill. They say just for an easy run on a treadmill, you could leave it at zero or maybe even a half of a percent to get the equivalent of offsetting that air resistance. So anyway, a lot of people just get the notion that since a treadmill is moving, that all you really have to do is just kind of bounce up and down and you're not having to do the work. But that's just not what these studies reveal. Like the your mechanics of your running does change a little bit when you're on a treadmill just because it is a different environment. But overall, it's still running. That makes sense. It does. And I've noticed over the years that my body responds differently running outside versus running on the treadmill. And so if at all possible, I avoid the treadmill. Yeah. So, and the data showed that the faster you go, the bigger the advantage the treadmill gives you. And that's just simply because of the air resistance factor. So surprisingly, though, the heart rate is pretty equivalent at whatever your effort is and whatever your speed is. And once again, that's just assuming the treadmill is calibrated correctly. So I had a couple of thoughts related to treadmill running. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever done a stress test with a doctor or a cardiologist. But I, I have not. But I have done that, and I have one coming up in a, a few months. And the way that works is they put a lot of probes on you, and they put you on a treadmill, and they start off slow, and they increase the incline and the speed every short amount of time to the point where eventually you are running uphill, and it gets really difficult really fast because they want to get your heart rate up. But as an endurance athlete, I want them to just keep going. I want the heart rate to get up as high as possible and stay there for a little while. But they tend to err on the conservative side and they have a number in mind that if your heart rate gets up to this amount, we're shutting it down. And I think that's great for your average citizen but for somebody who trains a lot and who intends on pushing their heart to its limits in competition, they need to open it up and, and get some real data. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be talking to my doctor when my next stress test comes up. Well, there you go. I don't think they'll listen to me, but I'm going to talk to them. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because the next thing this article talks about is running to exhaustion. Now, obviously, if you're having a stress test, you have to be on a treadmill because they have all this stuff hooked up to you. But these athletes were trying to figure out if you're running to exhaustion, do you get to that point, like a VO2 max type run, do you get to that point of exhaustion quicker on the treadmill or do you get to that point of exhaustion quicker over ground and it varied from athlete to athlete but overwhelmingly most athletes got to that exhaustion point much sooner on a treadmill and they attribute that also back to well is there a little bit more stress and just the unfamiliar activity of running swiftly on a treadmill or is it that an athlete's looking at the numbers and going, oh, I should be going in 9.1 or 9.2. So I don't know if they were even able to see the numbers, but they definitely 
got to that point of exhaustion quicker on a treadmill. There's also advantages to having the wind hit you in the face. It helps keep you cool. I guess that's true. It's a possibility. So, And there are subtle differences that they noticed. There were differences with the knee angle in which the when your foot hit the ground, what that knee angle was. And people who ran a lot on the treadmill, their form started matching their overground form more as they got more familiar with it. So adapting to the treadmill causes you to not have differences between outdoor and indoor. Yeah. But overall, the conclusion was that you can successfully train and get in good running shape on a treadmill. But they also suggest that you do take it outside and try to run in terrain that's going to be familiar or similar to race day conditions. If it's a hilly course or a flat course or a downhill course, you want to try to simulate some of that. I could see training indoors when you are going to be traveling to your destination race and it's going to be a much hotter environment. So you could train indoors with your treadmill and get your little space heater going and put on your extra clothes and just cook yourself simulating what the weather conditions are going to be where you're going. Yeah. Does that sound like fun? Sounds awful. Sounds awful. So, as I mentioned at the beginning, I went for a walk on the treadmill today, and I had it on an incline of 5% for part of it. I was getting after it, you know, for a walk, three and a half miles per hour at a 5%. So, it was a good workout. But when I finished, I was tinkering with my Garmin watch, and you may have been going to get to this, but there's an option for calibrate and save instead of just save. And then it asked me what the distance was on the treadmill, and it was not too far off, but I told the watch what the treadmill said so that when it saved the data, it would have the right distance, and then it would figure out the right average pace. So that's something to keep in mind if you're spending a lot of time on the treadmill. Look to see if you have a calibrate and save option. I have not been able to find my calibrate and save option, but here's what happened when I did that, which was when I first got this new watch in my Garmin 245 Music. I did a treadmill. It was actually a workout on the treadmill, which I don't do a workout on the treadmill very often. I never do a VO2 max short distance. Um, Like, I don't do one-minute pickups on the treadmill and, like, short, hard efforts just because I feel like it's dangerous for me to do that. But I had done a tempo, a lactate threshold effort, I think maybe a 20-20-20 run where I did 20 minutes easy and then 20 minutes at a lactate threshold pace and then did a 20-minute recovery. And then when I finished, it defaulted to save or save and calibrate. And so I calibrated and I put in the distance that was on the treadmill, which was a lot farther than what my watch had picked up. Well, the next time I did a run, it was just an easy run. But clearly, my watch was thinking back to my workout. <laughs> Not that a watch really thinks, but it didn't really notice that I was running slower. It just gave me credit for a lot more distance than I'd actually run. So I think that save and calibrate has to be done after every workout. But I have not been able to find it on my watch again. So what I've been doing is just going into Garmin Connect and adjusting my distance after each run because my watch gives me credit for a lot more than the treadmill does. 
You're adjusting it in Garmin Connect or in Training Peaks? In Garmin Connect. So Training Peaks is wrong. Does it not? Uh, I guess it wouldn't update. I don't know. I don't think it'll update a second time. Of course, what I've done recently during this training block is when my, say I'm supposed to do a four mile easy run, when my watch gets to four miles, I just stop my watch and then I keep running until the treadmill says four miles. So my pace is a little bit off, but my distance, I'm tracking my distance accurately, which for easy runs, that's all I care about anyway is getting in the distance. But I do need to Google it and figure out how to get to my save and calibrate. I can help you with that sometime. I've been going through the Bible in a year. And I think you've been doing that since you heard I was doing it. So I guess you're caught up on days. I don't know when you started Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, we're on the same day. But it's very interesting because there's commentary built in to every single day. And the things that this guy commentates on, I'm thinking, I would have never, ever, ever put that together. But in Leviticus where it's going through all of the, you got to kill two doves, or if you can't afford a cow, you've got to do this. And if you're unclean, you've got to go to a priest. And, you know, he really just talks about how all that points to Jesus. And it's just been a real interesting learning curve for me. Still trying to figure it all out. Yeah, I agree. It's been a really good devotional. It's insightful. Yep. So does he come up with a lot of commentary that you're thinking, hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, I've never thought of that before. Or I haven't thought about that perspective in a while. Mm -hmm. So speaking of Leviticus, I'm not going to read from Leviticus, but I was reading from Hebrews this morning. And the beginning of chapter 10 relates back to Leviticus. It says, for the law, which refers back to Leviticus and those rituals, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So yeah, all of that was just to remind us of our sinful nature and our need for redemption. And God made a way through Jesus. He's the ultimate purification. Amen. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.